So last Thursday, 2,000 years ago, Christ gathered 11 men that he spent three years with, 24-7. They're 11 because one of them has left to betray him. Jesus humiliated him four or five nights early over a lady bursting a year's supply of ointment or year's value of ointment on him, and so Judas is hacked. So he's gone to get the leadership of Israel to betray Christ. So he's got 11 guys with him, and he walks across a valley, and he goes to a garden where he's prone to go pray. He goes with those guys, and on the way, he talks to them about several things. You can actually read his conversation in John uh, 14 through 17. He talks about uh, the fact that they, he's not going to leave them alone. He's going to leave, but he's sending the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is going to work through them to convict the world about who he is. It's not their responsibility. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. He begins to walk them through what they're going to face. They step into Gethsemane, and they get into the garden, and they're alone, and he does something he's never done. In all the three years he's with the guys, he looks at eight of the guys, and he says, you stay here, and he pulls Peter, James, and John aside, and he walks them over a little bit, and he does something he's never done. He asks them to pray for him because... The issue he faces here is grave. And so they don't pray. It's been a long day. They've had a long, just finished Passover meal. They're full. They're tired. They're worn out. They sense something emotional going on around them, something spiritual happening. And so they fall asleep. So it goes over about as far as you can throw a rock. And he kneels down and he prays. And he says, Father, if there's any other way to do what we need done, Show me. Let this cup that I'm about to drink pass from me. Nevertheless, I will do what you want. Response from heaven is, it's nothing else. He goes back. He wakes them up. Goes back and prays. Same word, same answer. Goes back, wakes him up. Goes back, prays. And finally, he stands up. And, and, and it's an emotional stress on him. Because the Bible says that the capillaries in his sweat glands burst and blood comes out with sweat as he prays in this garden. It is intense. And so finally he stands up and he says, I'll do what you wish. He walks over, wakes these guys up, and about the time you hear some noise, and they look up and here comes Judas with a mob of men. They're coming in and they're coming to arrest Christ. Now, in spite of what we see in all our pageants and all our Easter plays, Jesus is a nondescript individual. Not the tallest guys, not the shortest guys, not the guy with red hair. There's nothing distinguishable about him, nothing distinguishable about him. And so what they have to do, Judas has to walk up, walk through the crowd of these guys, and kiss Jesus because it's the only way to identify him. Christ recoils at that and says, you betray me with a kiss? Peter takes out a sword, cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Jesus rebukes him, picks the ear up reattaches it to Malchus. And then they come to get him, and they fall backwards. Jesus lets them up because Christ wanted everybody to understand. He wasn't going because they took him. He was going because he chose to go. So he walks with them. It's late at night. They're heading into the Friday day, and they've got to do something. So 
They've got to get the Sanhedrin together, 70 men. We know two names, Nicodemus, Joseph. We know two of the guys in the Sanhedrin. They've got to get them together, so they've got to send guys out, wake them up, get them dressed, get them there. So while they're waiting, they take Jesus, and when you go to Israel, you can actually stand in the room, but they drop him down in a basement, basically, kind of a pit area, totally dark. And if he's there at night, he's completely pitch black. He can't even see his hand in front of his face. And all he can do is sit there absolutely isolated and hear upstairs the voices of men cackling as they come in because they know they've got him. Crowd's not here. People love him. They don't. But now they can do something about it so they can enact a phony trial, and that's what they do. They get enough guys there. They pull him up, and they start a trial. Can't get anybody to agree with anything. And finally... They ask him, are you the Christ? He said, after this, you'll see the son of man coming on clouds with power. They literally lose it. They jump on him. And they begin to beat him and to hit him and to slap him. And they mock him. There's so many jumping on him. And they go, hey, if you're the Christ, why don't you tell us who hit you? I mean, they're just all over him. and, And, of course, once you kind of vent that, They step back. He's a beaten, bloodied mess at this point. Matter of fact, the Old Testament indicates they yanked his beard out. I mean, they absolutely lose it, but they're holy guys, so they can't make a legal decision until the dawn. So they wait. Dawn comes. They vote naturally. Let's kill him. So they take him to Pilate. Pilate awakened up early. He doesn't really want to get up. He's got to deal with these Jews that are hard to, hard to deal with. He meets him and they said, we want him killed. And he already, remember, he's been governing the territory. Jesus' fame is everywhere. He's nervous. Just in case this guy is who he says he is. Doesn't want to fool them. And all of a sudden, it hits him. He's under Herod's jurisdiction. So he ships Pilate over to Herod. He's washed his hands. He goes back in, has some breakfast. Herod mocks him, can't get anything out of him, and sends him back to Pilate. So now Pilate's confronted with him again, and now they're back. We want him killed. Pilate's unnerved by this. A guy that's all-powerful is unnerved by this man. He questions him. Matter of fact, at one point, they're going nuts, and Jesus doesn't say a word. And he looks at him and says, you don't hear all these people going after you? And the Bible says Jesus never said a word. So he's bothered by this. He pulls Jesus in, investigates him, can't get any relief. And again, all of a sudden, it hits him. Wait a minute. I don't have to deal with this. Every year at the Passover, I release a prisoner. All I've got to do is find somebody they hate more than they hate Jesus. Easy deal. Pulls a guy out, sits him in front of the Jews and says, what do you want? I'll kill one of you, and I'll let one of them go. Which one do you want killed? Which one do you want let go? Now, the Bible says in Matthew, the chief priests and elders go out and persuade the crowd to ask for Jesus to be crucified. But while they're doing that, now remember, there's no email, no texting, no internet in this day. His wife, who is at home, she has no idea what he's dealing with. But he gets a note from her. It's actually a supernatural note. He gets a note from her, and when it opens up, she says, don't have anything to do with that righteous man. 
I have suffered a lot of stuff in a dream about him. So if he was nervous before now, he's really nervous. She's at home. She has no idea what he's dealing with, but she's had a dream that correlates with what he's facing. But it's okay because Brad is going to let him go. They come up, gets the crowd, quiets them, and says, what's your vote? And they vote. We all know. Crucified Jesus, let Barabbas go. Tries to argue with him, can't deal with him. Finally, he does the most bonehead thing he could do. He gets a basin of water. And right before he releases Jesus to be scourged, he takes his hands and he puts him in the water. And he pulls him out. And he says, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. He wiped off the only thing that for, could forgive him for his denial. So they take Jesus, they scourge him, they walk him to Golgotha, which is not on a hill, it's on a highway, leaving Jerusalem. And so they drop him there with two other guys, and they tie him up, and then they nail his wrist and his feet. Jesus and the crucifixion is an exhausting method of death. You have to push yourself up to get a breath to even speak. So Jesus makes a few statements from the cross, only a handful. First thing he says is the reason you're still here. The only reason you sit where you sit. And the only reason this world is still in existence is because of the first thing he prayed. We, in our pageants, always make angels petite, pretty girls. When you read the Bible, they're the most terrifying beings people meet on this planet. They generally cower and are in fear when they run into an angel in the Old Testament. The angels and the cherubim and the seraphim are in heaven. The Bible says they don't get what's happening. They're watching. The world laugh at him mock him, slam the crown of thorns on him. They just nail him. They put him on a cross. And everybody in front of him is laughing at him. All they know is one truth. The one they love is being terrorized by the ones he loves. And they can't process that. And it's taken the Father's power to keep them from coming down here. If Jesus had said anything like, Father, deal with this, they would have been here and would have ravaged the planet. In the Old Testament, one angel, one angel in the Old Testament wiped out the entire same number of people we have in the Brazos Valley in one night. There are millions being held at bay by God. So you better be grateful because the first thing he prayed is, Father, forgive them they have no idea what they're doing. If he'd prayed anything else, you and I wouldn't be here. He looks down a little while later, and he faces a really hard issue. There's his mother and John. All the other disciples gone. And John's not really there because he believes because he's not going to be there at the resurrection either. So it's his mother and John, and he faces a huge quandary. He's pained. For our sin and his mother, now listen, 
Nobody, particularly in that era, had a deeper love than a mom. She loves him more than any of us in this room. She served him more than any of us in this room. It would be awfully tempting for her to think, I love him more than anybody else. I've served him more than anybody else. I don't need what he's doing on the cross. I'm different. And so he pushes himself up, gets a breath, and looks down. And in a painful thing, he knows she loved him. She was a single mom from when he was 12 on. Joseph never reappears in the record. He knows the sacrifices she's made. And he looks and he says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He disowned her from the cross because it was the only way that she understood. And it's a great reminder to us. doesn't matter how much you think you love him or how much you serve him. You need the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Right. Goes back down. Two guys being crucified with him. They start out. They nail him at nine. They're going to take him off at three. They start out at nine. They're mocking him, laughing, just like everybody else does. And finally, somewhere, for some reason, we don't have any idea how in the world he figured this out. But one of these dudes looks at the other guy and he goes, hey, hey, back off. We're getting what we deserve. He hasn't done anything to get what he's getting. And then he looks at Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. <sighs> Pushes himself up one more time says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's a reminder. Jesus died, and as he's dying, there's only one person in the entire world that believes in who he is. A man that's never seen him before. And then we come. Fourth thing he says. He changes. It's not Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I understand you're forsaking these people, but not me. I haven't sinned. There is a disowning of the Father to the Son. We serve one God in three persons. They've been in total harmony and unity since the beginning. But at this moment, there is a disowning because Jesus is paying for our sin. I don't get that. I don't understand that. What I do know is that he hung there six hours. Seven's the number of perfection in the Bible. Six is the number of man because he's short of perfection. The Antichrist will embody all the evil we are is 666. He hangs there six hours because it takes six hours for the Father to take my sin and your sin, my shame and your shame, and put it on Jesus. He died because whenever you read the word death in the Bible, it is never that you cease to exist. The greatest blessing and the most dangerous curse you have is that you're never going to cease to be alive. The question you face is where are you going to spend it? He dies because he is separated from the Father. There's a disowning for these six hours so that I wouldn't have to be disowned. He died in my place so I don't have to die. So I either pay the payment for my sin, which is I'm separated from God, or I let him make the payment where he's separated from God and he does it for me. How do you say no to that deal? 
Then he says, pushes himself up, gets a breath and says, fifth thing, I thirst. Crucifixion was vile physically. So he's experienced emotional pain. His nation hates him. He's had to disown his mom. He's experienced spiritual pain. He's disowned from the father. And he experienced physical intensity. You lose all that fluid, you dehydrate. You muscle spasm. You have all sorts of issues. He's got to push himself up constantly to get a breath. And every time he pushes himself up, he hits, hits the nerves, and the pain is excruciating. But he says two more things at 3 o'clock. Two more things. In the Greek, one word. Six saying, tetelestai. It is finished. It's done. He made the payment that you can't make. Even his own mother couldn't make it. So don't think you can. It's finished. And then he returns. Listen. Father, forgive them. My God, my God. And now at 3 o'clock he says, Father, the separation is restored. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Jews didn't kill him. Romans didn't kill him. The cross didn't kill him. My sin killed him by his choice. He stayed on the cross until it was finished, and then he went home. When he goes home, steps into a realm that applauds him. He's left people laughing and mocking at him. But now he's in a realm where they worship him. They honor him. They praise him because he's home. You got the disciples who they don't have any idea what to do. They don't really believe. It's amazing. He told them countless times. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to get buried. Oh, by the way, on the third day, I'm coming up. None of them are there on the third day because they just don't buy it. They don't get it. They can't figure it out. All they know is he's dead. They're bewildered. They're confused. They don't know what to do. They gave up their business for three years to follow a guy that's now dead. So they're just bewildered. They don't know what to do. Jewish leadership, they are popping Mogan David like mad. It's a great day for them. He's dead. Can't bother us anymore. He jacked with us. He messed with us. He told the people how they need to be better. Listen, he's gone. We won. Satan is horrified. Anybody that tells you he put Jesus on the cross is insane. Jesus was very precise when he was here. One of the cryptic sayings he made was when Satan was walking toward him, said, I got to go. I don't have anything to do with this being. And now, at my death, is this being judged? If Satan could have kept him off the cross, he wouldn't have made the lake of fire. But he couldn't keep him off the cross. And now Satan's sitting one last forlorn hope that he's not coming out of the grave. Sunday morning. Now, 
The Jews pretty smart, right? They've sent to the head and said, Pilate, listen, these guys promised that he'd... It's amazing to me, the Jews believed more than the disciples did. He promised he'd come out of the grave, so we need to set some guards. Pilate says, yeah, no problem. So they set a couple guards, and remember, these are not Chris Osborne guards, okay? These are Delta Force Navy SEAL dudes, and they hate the Jews. They're hoping... They told him, listen, some Jews may come and try to see them. And they're sitting there going, oh, I hope it's my shift. I hate these guys. We'll just beat the fool. This will be fun. This is great. So they're sitting there about dawn. They hear a voice. It's sitting in the Bible. This is Chris Osborne paraphrase. They hear a voice. How's it going? Boom, they're down. <laughs> they faint. Because they turn around, don't see a couple ladies that look like they belong on Charmin tissue. They see two vicious, angelic warriors. And they faint. Pull the stone out. He walks out. But he walks out to nobody. John's not there. Judas is dead. Peter's crying in his room. Thomas, Matthew, nobody's there. He comes out to emptiness. But thank God he takes us home. You say, well, what's the big deal about the resurrection? Why is it so important? Because when you and I die, we're not coming out of the grave. You know why? Because our sin put us there. So we don't get to come out. You say, well, Lazarus came out. Yeah, he did, but he went back in. And when he went back in the second time, he didn't come out. You don't get to come out because your sin seals you in there. Jesus came out because he didn't die because of his sin. He died because of mine. And the resurrection is the absolute proof that the only hope you have is not being a member of this church. Not how much you think you love Jesus, not how much you think you serve him. You're saved by one thing, and that is you coming to Jesus saying, no matter what I think I've done, no matter how many times I've read the Bible, no matter how much I've prayed, I get it. I'm bad. You're not. You died for me. You took my place. You proved that when you came out of the grave. When no one believed in you, I want you to know I believe in who you are. When I make that statement, in response to the Holy Spirit convicting me, what Jesus told him what happened as he walked toward the Garden of Gethsemane, then you become a believer. That's why the Bible says this. Listen. Who rescued us from the, the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have the redemption, which is our sins are forgiven who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Because in him all things have been created in the heavenlies and upon the earth, the visible and invisible, thrones, lords, rulers, authorities, all things through him and for him have been created. If you live for anything other than Jesus Christ, you don't get it. He is, above, he is before all. All things hold together in him. And he is the head of the body of the church, which, who is the beginning the firstborn of the dead, that in him he might be preeminent in everything. 
Because in him all the fullness was pleased to dwell. And through him all things have been reconciled unto himself. Making peace through the blood of his cross. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. You believe that? You're saved. You don't. You're not. And you don't believe it unless you depend on it. That blood. I was reading this morning an article in the Washington Post talking about one of the rescue workers who was there. Remember that horrible thing at Virginia Tech? Guy killed, I think, 32 people and then himself. She had gotten the call. She had family there. She went, took three survivors back. But when she got home, there was blood on her outfit. She said she's put it up this number of years and she won't wash it she won't clean it because she said the blood reminds her of that moment and its terror and its danger and its hurt I'm telling you I would never denigrate what she feels about that coat but that blood doesn't compare to the blood shed by Jesus Christ he took my terror so I would not see the terror of the Father. Let's pray. Father, all I can do is share your truth. Father, is anybody in here? I can't make them see this. I would ask your spirit to walk among these chairs. And those here that do not know who your son is, let them catch that today and leave here differently than they came in. Father, anybody you want to be a part of this fellowship, as you speak to hearts this morning, we trust you. In Christ's name. Heads bowed and your eyes closed. You've never met Jesus. Not a better Sunday, really, to do it than when we commemorate his payment for our sin. You have some things you need to pray for? We're here at the front. We'll be glad to just pray with you. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship as he speaks. This morning, you come.